everyone, and welcome back to No Fate the Terminator Podcast. I'm your host, Michael John Petty. With me is Tanner Radwick, and we are here today to continue our coverage of Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Finally, we're getting into these final five episodes, Tanner. Probably some of the best of the show. Yeah. I'm excited. Um, today, we're going to be talking about Today is the Day Part 1, and which we'll jump into in a moment. Um, but it's the first of this two-part episode of the same name that I think is probably the best two hours possibly of the show. Maybe that's a little bold, but I think this two-parter is exceptional. It's it's kind of one of those that's actually worthy of being split in half mm. um, compared to a lot of shows that maybe do the two-parter thing as a gimmick. Sure. When I think I think this two hours of the show might very well be the best as you've said because i feel like it if you're gonna like pick two hours to represent what ultimately the overarching story and themes are of this show sure, i yeah. think the two hours really covers and is a good representation of the show as a whole i think that's a really good way to look at it but before we jump into that i was thinking about something this morning mm-hmm that I wanted to run past you that I think is a really cool idea that if you were a studio executive, I'm sure you'd green light right away. Um, Unfortunately, we are not. But if you know any studio executives who might be interested in a project like this, hit us up. So I was thinking, you know how Netflix is in development of that Terminator anime um, that's set during the future war, probably the same one Kyle Reese comes from in the original Terminator um, well, I was kind of thinking about that idea and how much we want to see that, but I was also thinking about how unfortunate it is that there's so many stories within the Terminator universes that we've already explored in the various movies, whether it's the reboots, sequels, whatnot, that are, that are just never going to be finished. Like the Sarah Connor Chronicles is a great idea or a great example. And then I was thinking, I, I kind of did a spider web here. Then I was thinking, you know, Marvel actually did something really interesting after Endgame when they did their What If show. Yeah. Where they kind of had this idea where each episode they jumped to a different possible timeline. Like, what if these events happened differently? Or what if these characters made different choices? Or what if there were zombies? Or, you know, they did all these really interesting things, um, which, you know, that's based off of a comic book that did the same thing, you know? And I was like, what if we did that for Terminator? And you do an animated series called Terminator Alternate Histories. Yeah. Or whatnot. And every episode is either something completely original, and it's someone's take on the franchise, someone's strange new take on the franchise, or it's some sort of tie-in continuation or prologue to one of the previous movies or the Sarah Connor Chronicles. And that way you could finish out the Sarah Connor Chronicles. That way you could expand on Genesis or the future of Dark Fate or Sarah's time in Dark Fate after John dies while she's hunting down Terminators. That'd be kind of an interesting episode. Mm -hmm. Um, Or just any, like what happened to John and Kate after Judgment Day and T3, you know, in the bunker, what did they do next? And just all these different things that you could possibly explore and expand on, but do it in an animated form where you're not, you don't have to worry about getting all the actors back. And and if you did want to, it'd be for voiceover. It wouldn't be for um, 
you wouldn't have to get them on camera. They could just come in and mm-hmm. record their dialogue and leave. And then still kind of bring the entire Terminator brand together into something a lot more cohesive that people can then understand as, oh, these are different timelines. It's not as confusing as I think it is. They're right. just different stories, different ideas of what could happen. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's a crazy good idea, especially with how popular, I guess, those types of shorts are. We have all these Star Wars shorts in addition to the Marvel thing. I think they're doing a Star Wars What If also, or maybe yeah. it's already. Uh, and then you have, like, Love, Death, and Robots. Yes, Netflix. I was thinking of that too, yep. And have that style to it. Funny enough, when you're describing these different timelines and different stories that you could play with, one of the ones that I would kind of be in something I went to immediately was <laughs> it's a little different than maybe the usual, but if you could do one that picks up Terminator 3 timeline, but prior to that, like if you did right after John, like right after Sarah dies and show John have to hit the road without his mom for the first sure. time. Yeah, that'd be cool. And his inner thoughts on that and like what he has to do and what he, where he has to go and like, do I abandon everything because we stopped judgment day or do I have to keep living this way? Cause mom said I do, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. whole thing who have him run to, into a little trouble, having to avoid the police and something. You well, know? it'd be a lot like his Sarah Connor Chronicles arc, but without Sarah to bail him out. Yeah. To have him in like a really dark place where he just lost his mom. Yeah. Oh, that's a really a- cool idea. Yeah, it'd be a fun one to explore. I'd really like to explore more, too, of like... Because I think one thing that you would want to do with something like this is you'd want to bring in some of the people who wrote some of the movies or TV shows to, like, continue some of their own stories, you know? And you'd want to kind of base it... Because, you know, Salvation, Genesis, and Dark Fate each had planned trilogies. And it'd be really neat to kind of see that come into fruition over the course of maybe multiple episodes of some animated show that allows them to still tackle all of those things. Like, I would like to see what happens with Sarah and Kyle and Pops after Genesis. And I remember after they decided that those uh, future sequels were canceled, kind of being a little disappointed, if not just because I felt there was more to the story. And this way, you could do something like that. You could revisit all of these stories and actually see them finish out without having to greenlight another trilogy or another TV series that's just about those iterations. That way, whoever is producing this show doesn't have to worry about, oh, people aren't going to want that because they hated Dark Fate, so why would they want a show about it? Well, it's not just about Dark Fate. It's about all these different versions and then new original versions, and you pitch it as such so that they can see that, oh, there's actually a market for Terminator as a brand, not just this iteration of Terminator or this iteration of Terminator. Yeah. And I think you could really get Sarah Connor Chronicles fans behind a show like that because you could finish the show. Yeah. Totally. Seems like a no-brainer to me. I know. I wish I was pitching to a studio executive instead of you and our audience. (laughs) Yeah, you're preaching to the choir right now. (laughs) (laughs) I know, i got to get those sinners on board. (laughs) But anyway, those are the thoughts that I think in the morning when I wake up from lucid dreams. Mm. I like it. 
All right, so with that, we're going to jump into the Sarah Connor Chronicles with Today is the Day, Part 1. As the Connors prepare to move, they find out that Riley is dead, and Sarah begins to doubt Cameron's motives. Jesse flashes back to a submarine mission in the future, and John Henry plays hide-and-seek with Catherine Weaver's daughter. This episode's really good. It got a 7.7 out of 10 on IMDb, which I think is... I mean, it certainly earns that. I could easily give it an 8. There's a lot of moving parts in this episode. Every character is involved. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty heavy at times. Um, But in a good way and in a way that doesn't necessarily feel heavy every time. You know, with the exception of John dealing with Riley's dead body. That, That seems pretty rough. Yeah. But it, but every every scene is pretty thought provoking. Yeah. This one uh, dives deep, um, literally in a submarine, um, <laughs> <laughs> but also dives deep into you know the themes of this show overall. That's why I think it's such a good representation of this show. But there's so much of like, is Cameron lying? Is she messing with me? And then we have. Uh, that's kind of left ambiguous to the off to the audience, and then but then we have Jesse's character who is just blatantly lying and manipulating, right? Right. Um, and contrasting those two, they do that very well. And then we have, of course, John Henry and his manipulation in this epi- episode as well. And Weavers. And Weavers, and Weaver is like extra. Oh, uh, she's extra spooky this time. Extra spooky and, like, extra non-human. Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> this episode especially, I'm like, uh, how does Ellison not just be like, are you a freaking robot? <laughs> <laughs> if I were Ellison, not. I feel like I'd wonder that about most people, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. At this point. Yeah. But especially someone like her. I guess she's writing his checks. Sure. Or signing his checks. He has, like, this weird eye contact with John Henry through the whole thing. <laughs> She's, he's like, are you banging the robot? What? <laughs> it's like I'm getting weird vibes. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. I I can't help but kind of, like, full disclosure, Cameron is a freak. Like, we all know that. She yes. she She needs some serious help. She's obviously been proven as a liar at times, but it's usually in John's best interest. Um, it's occasionally her own, which is kind of spooky. And then we also know that she genuinely cares about John. And even if she doesn't actually love him, even if she can't actually do that, um, there is a level of care that goes beyond just programming. And you can see that in the way that they interact with each other and the small things she tries to do for him, like posing as Riley on the phone and speaking to him in her voice and telling him that mm-hmm. she loves her, him in the voice and all of that. But then at the same time, it's completely understandable where Sarah's at with this. Because to any outsider, it makes sense that Cameron would have been the one to kill Riley. Yeah. And more than that, Sarah already doesn't really trust Cameron. And then on mm-hmm. top of that, to find the parts that she's been hiding, and now that she knows John has been helping her hide, I don't know. It, it's 
Jesse's plan is almost foolproof. It really is. Yeah. It's... And we don't have all the information of what is John doing in the future right? that's making Jesse want to make this decision. So we as the audience are put in this really cool spot of trying to figure out who should I be siding with in this scenario? And you're kind of like trying to navigate it and you can see both sides. Right. But it's kind of dependent upon what are the true circumstances in the future, which are left a little bit murky, mm -hmm. which is just really uh, well written. I think it's a shame that they couldn't flesh it out more because who knows where they could have gone with this. Ultimately, they could have gotten to the end and you could have found out that like maybe Cameron became like so self-aware that she decided to manipulate John into like nothingness who knows you yeah. know could have found out that maybe eventually Cameron kills John and just sends out the orders you know mm -hmm. or Cameron's just good in the end and there's something else you have to worry about like so many different directions it could have gone and like as we finish these episodes we can dive into that more but um the the ominous like they give you some info but not enough and like you're left in this guessing game i just love these last few episodes it also just makes you really like you you definitely the the more you understand the more you find out you do feel for jesse like there, there's a part of there, there's some sympathy there you know you, you can be empathetic towards where she's been and and why she is the way she is especially because at the beginning of the flashback of this episode with her and Derek and her future um, she's kind of the one who trusts the machine and Derek is the one who doesn't right only to see her now in the current present of you know 2009 and see that she is completely opposite I mean she she doesn't trust a machine with anything she barely t trusts a toaster so you can kind of see where she's been and you know as we as we watch what unfolds on the jimmy carter in the next episode i think we see more of that and why but at the same time you know i i think something that she doesn't really fully understand yet is that her her future is not the same future that like Derek came from or the same future that Cameron came from or the same future that is going to occur because of their interference in the past. Mm -hmm. And so, which I think she understands to a point, like she understands that enough to just to, to plot this whole thing out so that John doesn't trust Cameron anymore, but she doesn't understand it in the sense that the Cameron that John knows in the show could easily be completely different sure. than the one she knows. Yeah. And instead of giving that a chance, she's like put this blanket statement on all machines, which, you know, coming from a post judgment day future, I can't judge her for that exactly. Yeah. No, that makes sense. But it's just, and it's just weird to think about when you, when you think about how all the timelines add up and then how the characters have to respond to those different timelines. I don't know. It's, it's just interesting. Right. But if she's from a future where she knows that, like, this is a possibility of whatever it may be, Cameron being ultimately bad, you know, machines doing things, they turn on everybody, you know, they go bad sometimes, like they talk about. Right. 
she's going to uh, knowing that that was her experience you know she's going to pursue ending that possibility right. um, no matter what at that point even at the cost of an innocent girl which is such a good conversation between her and Derek where she's trying to tell Derek hey something good may have came out of this and he's like an innocent girl died Not, that's never good you know and Jesse is more machine like yes. than Cameron is in this moment which I love when they do in this show yes Cameron expresses that she's sorry for John and John in the moment doesn't believe her and that's a good conversation also um When Cameron tells John, I'm sorry, John says, for what? Hmm. Which is a fun question, too, because Cameron already told her, told told John that she didn't kill Riley, right? Right. So he's saying, if you didn't kill her, why are you sorry, right? Which is, you know, um, something humans just say to each other also when they know that you're apologizing for something that you didn't have any part of, right? Yeah. And it's just interesting that Cameron, um, you know, we see her develop, but she's developed enough to understand that you can just be sorry for the sake of being sorry for someone's loss, right? Which she says there. Right. And John's just so confused by that. And, like, she's not helping because she's answering kind of correctly, right? Right. (laughs) So it's just confusing him even more. And he's, you know, he doesn't want to believe, I don't think, in that moment that she can know what that means. When I think in reality, she is learning and knows what that means also. Yeah. Well, I, I think there's a part of Cameron that maybe even relates that to, like, what if I lost John? I would mm-hmm. be sorry that I didn't have John. And mm-hmm. there's that whole debate on whether she'd actually be sorry about John's loss emotionally or if she'd just be sorry because her mission parameters have failed and right. now she doesn't have a purpose in life. Um, but is that so much different than when we lose people that we love and feel that we don't have a purpose anymore in, in a way? I mean, you know, and that's where you kind of have to have that conversation. Like how much is this machine, how much can this machine feel? You know, in the Iron Giant, the giant has a soul. It's kind of made very clear that he has a soul. Um, and you find that out through how he feels about things and responds to things and how he actually cares about people and stuff like that. But in Terminator, the cyborgs are very robotic, very machine-like. And yet you have someone like Cameron who strives to be something different, strives to be better than that. And even you know the Uncle Bob Terminator in Terminator 2 kind of gets there as well, even though he admits that he can't fully cry, he can't fully understand but he wants to. And it's it's such a interesting line that is drawn between humanity and machines. And it goes back to even what Ellison was saying to John Henry, how man was created in God's image, but the machines were created in man's. So they don't have the same kind of emotional and spiritual and capabilities that humans do. They don't have souls. And yeah. this show plays around with that so much. I think it's so interesting. Um, yeah. It's very cool. This episode does it very well. 
super well. And you can even connect it to Terminator 2 at the end when the Terminator says, you know, I, I, uh, I know now why you cry, but it's something I can never do. Yeah. And it makes you wonder, like, okay, so the it can learn to the point to understand these emotions, supposedly, because it's telling us that it does, right? Right. Does it actually? And furthermore, if it's if it if it's something it can never do, does it fully understand it? Mm. In terms of crying and everything else. Right. Well, and I think Arnold's a great example in that in pretty much all of his Terminator appearances, I mean, Genesis and Dark Fate do something similar too. And in Genesis, he raised Sarah and he, he seems to love Sarah um, so much so that he'll, he's willing to risk himself at her expense and even Kyle's expense because she, he knows what he could mean to her. And similarly in Dark Fate, you know, Carl has a family only to walk away from that when duty calls which kind of mm. makes you wonder if, like, how can he do that if he really cares about them? But it's because, mm. you know, at the same time he's protecting them and he knows that the Terminator would just show up there if uh, if he stayed. So it's it's very interesting. Um, the, the franchise really does like to play around with that idea, which I feel like is something that kind of originates in T2. You don't see that in the first Terminator at all. No. Um, <laughs> And, it and doesn't feel pity no. or remorse. And really, you don't see that in <laughs> Salvation either, with the exception being Marcus, but Marcus is still mostly human. He's kind of the first cyborg prototype where he's still, like, mainly, he's still human. Yeah, and you could you would argue that Marcus does still have a soul. Yeah. At that. yeah. Well, yeah, his brain, his heart are still intact, right. his lungs. You know, he's he still has parts of himself. Um, yeah, it's it's... So so where does that end, you know? It's like where where does the biology finally go away so that the soul also goes away? Yeah. You know, and you kind of have to wonder that with Marcus, like if he were to lose his heart, would he still have his soul if he were to lose his brain and and just still have flesh? Well, he wouldn't be him, right? Cuz his Yeah. his mind is in his brain. But anyway, it's very interesting. They almost do the reverse of that. I'm trying to remember what the movie is called. You'll probably know. It's a Robin Williams movie where he's like a robot, but then he becomes more and more human. Do you remember that? Hmm. Let me look it up. <laughs> I have, like, I've seen it once when I was pretty young. There's a few things that I remember, but not much. The Bicentennial Man? I think it's that one. He's he's like a family robot that they order. Oh, yeah. But Sam Neill's like, in it? Yeah, over time, he becomes more human. Like, they keep giving him human parts until basically he's just a human. That's, That's almost like the reverse of what we're talking about, which is really weird. Hmm. But he's the same thing. Like, all of his thoughts and memories and everything are sure, all there. Sure. But he, like, eventually gets all these human organs and stuff. I, I probably need to watch it again. It's been forever. So it makes you wonder, could a, could a Terminator do something similar? Hmm. We're getting a little too philosophical and uh, <laughs> a little too real now with all the AI stuff going on. Oh, yeah. I know. It's a little too much. It's like like James Cameron said, did we not learn? Obviously, we didn't. We keep making these same mistakes. We yep. see the stuff in the movies and we're like, that's cool. I wonder if I could do that, but better. Life imitates art. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Well, Mary Shelley was on to something. We'll say that <laughs> much. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting how um how much Jesse tries to push the whole John needs to kill Cameron narrative on Derek and how sudden it feels. Because although she's like mentioned a couple of times that she doesn't trust Cameron. Yeah. Now it's like full force. Like if he doesn't do it now, we're all going to die. You know, that's kind of like the mentality she's going at it with. And Derek is just so thrown off. He's like, what? (laughs) Yeah. And you could tell he's like very confused. Um, If I were him and I know they're sleeping together. So that blurs things a bit. But if I were him, I'd be wondering, why are you so invested in this? You've never even met John. Yeah. Well, and I, I can't help but, I mean, I, I feel like it's kind of implied that Derek is suspecting that Jesse did this, right? Because there's something about the line that he delivers of, like, I'm thinking about Riley and what the machine did to her. And right. I don't, there's something about the way he delivers that. Sure. That's, like, accusing in a way. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder if he's starting to suspect. And and also he challenges her on, like, he says, you've thought this through kind of thing. Yeah. Or you've, and like, she's like, no, thing. I haven't, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's like, well, really? Yep. It sounded like you had. But it, it's cool how they have kind of a side-by-side of, like, Jesse and Sarah both realize that John has to be the one to do this or it means nothing. Right. Right, because Sarah could do it, but he would just hate her the rest of his life just like how jesse and Derek could also do it but it wouldn't complete and put him on the path that he needs to go on which is to not trust these things right and i think it's really hard when you consider that t2 still happen in this universe to make john connor not trust a terminator yeah, I was thinking about that also, specifically on the line of where John says, I wish I could believe that when Cameron says that she's sorry. Right, and it kind of makes you think that he remembers what the Uncle Bob Terminator said to him before he lowered right. himself into the in the flame. Yeah, right. And so with T2 in mind, it almost seems like Jesse should have gone back further mm. and made the Uncle Bob Terminator do something or, you know, frame that Terminator yeah, instead of Cameron. And I I know, like, obviously this is, you know, it was a Fox TV show. You didn't have all the other actors back. Arnold's Terminator isn't even in the show. But I get that. So, you know, Summer Glau is a great replacement. But it almost seems like it wouldn't have fully worked if not just because of that other Terminator. And, you know, maybe that's wrong. Maybe John has placed so much faith in Cameron that it would have shattered his trust in the machines or, or at least his trust in his ability to reprogram them. Right. But, uh, I don't know. I kind of think it wouldn't have done any good. Yeah. I, I guess the argument for why it needs to be Cameron is that from Jesse's future, Cameron specifically is kind of the one that's, at his side constantly. Sure. There might not have even been an Uncle Bob Terminator in her future. Sure. So, from that standpoint, that's the one that needs to get... Get, get. <laughs> get got. <laughs> get got. Yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. That's a good point. Again, Sarah doesn't really have a whole lot to do in this episode, but what she does contribute, I think it's really meaningful. Um, yeah. That is the one complaint I feel like I have with this two-parter is Sarah, even though her name's in the title of the show, doesn't feel like she has a whole lot going on. It really feels like John's story in a lot of ways, which is, of course, why I love it. But at the same time, um, I feel like the writers were a little burnt out on Sarah after the three mm. dots arc, and they didn't mm. really know what to do with her until you get to the last like couple of episodes. Because um, at that point, I, I feel like she has a real arc, but right now... It's she's yeah. kind of there to support, which you know makes sense. Riley's dead; she she needs to be a mom, but it's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, I don't think she even has an opening monologue in this one, does she? I don't think so. Not that I can recall, anyway. But the parts that she does have are really good. Mm-hmm. Her talks with John and her talks with Cameron about how she wished she could shoot Cameron with Derek's sniper rifle when she came home. It's so uh, funny how nonchalantly she tells Cameron she wants to kill her. Like, a lot on the show. <laughs> I like how Cameron initially says you would feel bad if you killed me. <laughs> <laughs> For whatever reason, Cameron, like, answers it that way. Because Sarah asks her, she's like, you know what I would feel? <laughs> she's like, really bad? <laughs> she's like, no, wouldn't feel any bad at all. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I think it's, you know, J- Jesse, not to go back to Jesse, because I don't really want to harp on this too much, but it, it just seems so impossible to me that the woman we see in the flashbacks mm. could take a teenage child from the future, bring her to the past with the intent on sacrificing her. Mm. It just, she doesn't seem like the same woman. Mm. with how team oriented she is on the on the sub yeah and and they're doing their little initiation and uh yeah no i get that and we see her we do see the moment where she like finds uh riley in the future and she's very dirty and like you know scary kind of (laughs) golem-esque (laughs) yeah But she's very, like, uh, from the start, like, manipulative, like, yeah. has this light bulb moment kind of thing. And, like, very, um, yeah, just scary, different. It's just, there's something that happens, you know, in between that sub scene and that that gets her to this point where she's, like, needs to come up with this heartless plan, right? This machine-like plan, dare I say. Yeah. Um. I was also excited to see uh, Theo Rossi playing Dietz in this one because he mm. uh, he plays Juice in Sons of Anarchy. He has a pretty big part in that. Claire and I have been watching those, and I forgot that he was in this show, so that's fun. Is that the uh, the cyborg on the sub? No, Theo Rossi is uh, – he he's the soldier that gets sent to go pick up the box for John. Ah, okay, yes. Which is like – also a cool plot point we haven't touched on yet. And of course they, we, they just give us a little sliver of it in this episode, but I I don't know how much you've seen of Battlestar Galactica. It feels like a show that you'd probably like. Um, but it kind of ended 
right before Terminator came out or the Sarah mm-hmm. Connor Chronicles came out. Yeah. And it was very, you know, it's very much military science fiction. Um, the their ships in space, they deal with Cylons, which are basically Terminators um, that are trying to fight for their own rights. Um, it, it, it very much plays with a lot of the same ideas and concepts that this show does. And the entire uh, time, anytime a flashback scene came on and there was the camaraderie between Jesse and her other, you know, Marines or whatever they are, or uh, I guess they wouldn't be Marines, would they? They'd be... Crewmen? Seamen? Crewmen? Seamen? <laughs> I was trying not to say that one, but, you know. Yeah, I think um, that's the proper term. You're probably right. But all of that interaction and then for him to go down and to get the box from those Terminators just standing there. And then the one with the scary plastic human mask. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it just reminded me so much of Battlestar Galactica. I mean, it felt like I could have cut that whole bit from that episode and put it on the show and it still would have made sense. It That's was, cool. It's kind of funny. Um, makes me want to watch it. I, I think you'd I really like it. Sol- I got some salvation vibes from that scene too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, especially the opening of salvation when they jump into that hole and it's kind of wet and they're, you know, mm-hmm. sneaking around that weird underground base. Oh yeah. And I don't think the Terminators even look too bad. I mean, it's obviously TV budget CGI, but for the time, I don't think it's bad. Yeah. For what it is, it delivers how it's supposed to. It's very creepy and intimidating. And <laughs> the, honestly, the scariest one's the plastic mask face guy yeah yeah it looks just off enough to be disturbing <laughs> it, it reminds me of the uh the arnold puppet that they used for the first terminator movie <laughs> right <laughs> kind of michael myers-esque too yeah kind of michael myers-esque yeah exactly exactly um additionally we see john kind of go through his grieving process but at the same time we don't really see him grieve and it's really interesting, mm. you know, par- obviously part of grief is denial and it's, it's kind of trying to push that down and not feel that, not think on that, not, um, dwell on what happened and what you could have done. And that's all he's doing. And instead he's like, well, we have to clean this up because I got her into this. And in his mind, you know, I got her into this, I have to clean it up. And so he goes and settles things with the, uh, the foster dad. And that whole scene is very stressful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very stressful from the first moment john walks in you can tell this guy doesn't trust john but then when riley calls john's obviously jarred and then you realize it's cameron and which makes it even worse and it's the whole scene is just cameron doesn't help it either. no it's brilliant but it's really stressful and yeah. and just I, you can kind of see the look on john's face where he just he wants to be anywhere but there you know, he yeah. wants to actually be with Riley. He knows this isn't her. He knows she never said those words to him. You know, all of, all of these things that are running through his head that he can only, he can't say. He can't even deal with because he has to keep his cover. Um, yeah. Well, and keep his cover that, you know, this girl that he cares about isn't dead. Right. So he's having to put on a face in front of her foster dad while also being emotionally... Uh, poked at yep. by Cameron mimicking Riley's voice 
<laughs> saying things, this person that he cares about who just passed away and hearing the, that voice, I can't even, he like, he handles it very well, all things considered. <laughs> well, and it's not like you're playing their voice on an answering machine or listening to a podcast that maybe they were on or something. It's mm. not like that. It's, he's having a dialogue with this voice and yeah. it's not her. Yeah. Disturbing. Very much. It's it's like the plastic mask Terminator. It's like you can tell this isn't real and it's freaking me out. Right. And like almost even worse is that Cameron puts like a logical backstory behind it of like this is why we did it this way. This is more right. convincing. Like she tries to like robotically make it seem like this made sense. But in that moment when she was delivering those lines, it felt so manipulative and like intentional and like um spur of the moment you know she's just going rogue doing this yeah i know that we really needed the reveal that jesse planned to kill riley the whole time and we needed that confrontation between the two of them so that jesse would kill her i know we needed that but i kind of wish that's not what happened and they mm. cut that scene entirely and they mm. just found out in this episode that Riley's body showed up and we were left to wonder, did Cameron do it? Because if we were and John was still choosing to trust her, even if we, the audience didn't know, yeah, especially in a scene like this, we'd wonder, like, did she act? I think the drama and the tension oh, would just man. have been so much more intense because we would be afraid for John. We'd be almost worried that Either this Terminator girl is obsessed with him and will kill anyone who gets in her way, or maybe John's next and maybe something is broken because the whole season you've been seeing her slowly break and you've been seeing the whole thing with the birds. And even in this episode, she has a moment with the birds Yeah, and you'd, you'd kind of wonder, could she snap at any given second and do the same and turn on John again? And well, I think that would have made it even more I, like I would have given this episode a nine or a 10 if it yeah. had been like that probably I didn't even think about that honestly but they and they plant that seed so well with like Riley catches a glimpse of her working on her arm yeah. right which is why Riley freaks out so much to Jesse um but had they just left it at that and like had Cameron like kind of like suspect that Riley saw so then we just think off screen Cameron went ahead and and did it you know did it oh man then to have the reveal later of that jesse did it that could have been so much better wow that's a good one michael that would have been sweet <laughs> i know i'm full of good terminator takes today I, we've been recharging on our couple yeah. month break yeah uh, <laughs> um i know we always save it for last um and maybe it's because we're saving the best for last but the Ellison plotline this week was exceptional. I mean, it was really good. I mean, just all the stuff between him and John Henry. And it's a lot less about philosophy this time around and more about how you apply morality and how you apply those philosophical Ethic. lessons that you learn. Yeah. yeah, the ethics, exactly. And um, I thought that that was done very well here in a way that also included Weaver. Because I feel like a lot of times in the Ellison plotlines, Weaver is kind of just there to quip with him for a second or quip with John Henry for a second and then move on. But mm -hmm. Weaver's actually a part of the narrative this time around. And you really see how much Ellison cares for her daughter. Well, her uh, kidnapped daughter and how much she cares 
for John Henry, who's mm-hmm. really her child, you mm-hmm. know, and it's, oh, it's so interesting. And, and you see that John Henry and Savannah play together, you know, kind of like siblings in a way, right? And in a way they are because of Weaver. Weaver's the, the, the mother that unites them both. And it's kind of like the older sibling taunting the younger sibling and John Henry doesn't fully know because he's still learning, but that's that's kind of what you get going on here to the point where the younger sibling maybe almost dies. Yeah. And I mean, obviously in this case, you know, Savannah's actually older than John Henry in terms of years, but in terms of physicality, um, he's the older one. But anyway, it's just a very interesting idea. Um, and I, w- I, I really wish that season three had happened, if not just so that you know, Ellison could have maybe adopted Savannah and we could have had more of like this father daughter mm. relationship between the two that you almost kind of see here because he kind of cares for her like a dad. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's really special. And I wish that the show was able to explore that more. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I feel like, especially because he is... couldn't be a dad. Right. You know? Yeah. Definitely could have gone that direction. They set it up that way. Um, I feel like with how much the other parts of this show are kind of highlighted, um, the uh, the Ellison plot line is almost, I guess, streamlined to kind of brush through. It's very efficient. It doesn't feel – I wouldn't call it rushed. Yeah. But it's kind of efficient the way that they do it. Um, and they – I mean, it's mostly highlighted at the end when Ellison is talking to him about how that that was the wrong choice you made to withhold that information of like where was Savannah, right? Yeah. Um, but I almost could have like, you really could have you could have expanded that plot line a lot bigger, I think, and it would have been really fun. I think they did a good job with what the time they had, but that whole moment is so good. I wish we could have had more. Sure. Um, Maybe more with Weaver outside of like Weaver. I just feel like is exposing herself the whole time during that. <laughs> mm-hmm. They could have done creepier stuff with Weaver, maybe. But we'll see what happens next. Yes. <laughs> But overall, I, I really like this episode. I, I don't really have many critiques other than maybe I wish that there had been a little more drama about the whole did Cameron do it thing. Because um, I think that would have been... I think I think it just would have made the episode better. But it's certainly not bad on its own as it stands. I mean, it's it's this two-parter, again, in my opinion, is one of the best parts of the show and mm-hmm. really encompasses and embodies... Um, what the show really wanted to be very yeah. well. And yeah, totally. I think that's what these last five episodes really do. I think I think the creators of the show probably saw the writing on the wall as far as being canceled, and I think they did their best to make the last five episodes of the Sarah Connor Chronicles exceptional, and they are. And so I'm I'm really excited to continue to dive into them and finish out the show because it's been a long time coming and all of you have been waiting very patiently but also just because it's fun to revisit um it's been a number of years since i rewatched the show 
as we talked about when we first started this way back when, over a year ago. And it's it's cool to to watch it again in a critical context and to be able to talk about this every week. Well, not every week, but most weeks with you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, we got so uh, the second half of this one I'm really excited to cover. So Yeah, me too. So with that, guys, now that we are back, you can find us on nofatepodcast.com where you can listen to all of our episodes that have been released and stay tuned for more. Um, we will be... We, sorry. We will be returning very shortly with Today is the Day Part 2, which will which will mean that we'll only have three episodes left after that of the Sarah Connor Chronicles. And then afterwards, we'll probably do some more debriefing about what season three could have been and what our hopes might have been and what the cast and crew would have wanted. Um, so if you have any insight on that, please send us that uh, through our website, through our contact page, or just email us at nofateterminatorpodcast.com. You can find us again on social media, mostly on Twitter, at nofatepod. And yeah, I think that's about it. So thank you guys again for tuning in. And until next time. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. <laughs> <laughs>